Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy! Good morning, everybody. Praise God. Got my, I didn't have a chance to have breakfast today, so what's a good option? Yeah, you just stop there, and you know what? I shouldn't, because I just went to the doctor, and I, my cholesterol was a little high, and I'm supposed to stay away from stuff like that, uh, and I'm trying. I'm trying, so I just really trying. Anyway, today we're going to start a new division of the books in the Bible, in the New Testament, and it's called the letters, the epistles. And, you know, we're used to getting letters in the mail, right? I don't know about you, but I get a lot of junk mail. Anybody else? Yeah, you get a lot of mail, you know, and some of the mail we get, they're so faithful to send us something every month. Anybody recognize this letter? This P-S-E-N-G, you know, Elizabethtown Water, There's a lot of those. But you know, the letters I really look forward to getting are the holiday letters. You know, friends I've gone to school with uh, who moved out of state or even relatives I haven't been in touch with a long time. I love getting the holiday letter because they catch me up on what's happening in their life. Ed calls it a brag letter because a lot of times it talks about how good they're doing, what their kids are doing. And, you know, I I find it really, really uh, a blessing to get those kind of letters. But today, I mentioned we're going to start a section in the Bible called the epistles, or the letters. Two-thirds of them were written by the Apostle Paul, and the one that we're going to talk about today is the book of Romans. Irma, earlier today, she said, what are you preaching on? I told her Romans. She said, is that because you're Italian? I said, no, that has nothing to do with it, Irma. But Romans, the book of Romans, it has 16 chapters. And Paul writes this around 56, 57 AD. And the interesting part that you need to understand about the letters is that most people in the Roman world were illiterate. So these letters were meant to be read by somebody who would perform them to the group that would hear it. Now, the first 11 chapters speak about what God has done for all who believe in him. And chapters 12 through 16 show how we as believers should respond to this lavish gift of his grace. The main theme, if we were to narrow it down to just one sentence, would be being right with God through faith in Christ. See, our confidence doesn't come from our background, our our family, our religious affiliation. Uh, It doesn't come from our wealth. It comes from faith in Christ alone who offers this free gift of salvation. And Paul needs to uh, really clarify this to both uh, groups of people we're going to talk about today in this church. Certain Jewish Christians 
who were used to the traditions of uh, circumcision were telling the Gentile believers that they had to do that in order to be acceptable before God. And in the course of this book, you'll see Paul sets up opposites. He sets up faith versus works, the spirit versus the flesh, and liberty versus bondage. Now, when we look at a letter today that we get, you know, we have a form, right? We, we have a heading, we have body, you know, and so forth. And the same thing in the letters in the Bible. We know we have an opening, and that's usually where the receiver and the author is mentioned. You have a prayer in the beginning, oftentimes a greeting. And then comes the body of the letter. The body of the letter tells the reason why the letter was written, what the hearer is supposed to do, how they're supposed to respond to what they're hearing. And because these letters are meant to be heard, there's a lot of transition words. You'll see that in all the letters. And the transition words are like, therefore, because of that, so then, as for you, for this reason. So look for those as we continue the series on the letters, okay? And the letter, the transition words, you'll notice a lot here in this book of Romans. Now, if somebody were to read my mail, they would know about what was meant for me to hear. And we might think, well, these are first century letters. Why? It's like reading their mail. But you'll notice that the message is for all times. It wasn't just for this first century Christians. You're going to see how it applies to us today. The purpose of the letter was to give us everyday living uh, advice, to refute false doctrine, and to encourage people to persevere even when they were under uh, persecution and opposition. Most of Paul's letters were collected and they were, even though this particular book we're going to read is to the book of, uh, to the people in Rome, it was circulated throughout the Mediterranean world, and it, it became later part of our Bible. You know, the letter to the book of Romans, Paul has to introduce himself. You see, he never met these Christians. These Christians, it's speculated, and I believe strongly, I agree with the commentators, these Christians were the ones that got saved on the day of Pentecost. If you remember in the book of Acts, it said there were um, people from Judea, uh, people who uh, were from Rome, and they heard the message. They saw the Holy Spirit and became part of those who heard the 3,000 that were saved. And they later went back to Rome, and they started this church. So Paul is really introducing himself to them. And here, uh, at one point, the Jews who became believers weren't clear about whether the Gentile, the non-Jew, was acceptable to God. And, and here, Paul sets them straight, and this is going back in the previous book of Acts. Acts 11, he says, he tells them about an incident that happened. He said, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them. He's talking about the them as the Gentiles as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit 
So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I should stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So you see the church in Rome, it was a mixture. It was a mixture between Jewish and Gentile believers. And at the time of this writing, there was some tension going on between these two groups because the background is the Jewish people despised the Gentiles. They thought of them as dogs. They, they called them uh, the uncircumcision or they were unclean. They would cross the street sometimes to avoid them. So there was that perspective and, and they hated each other. And kind of like if you bring it to today's perspective, who's a Yankee fan here? Okay, who's a, a, a Boston Red Sox fan? Okay, we hear some boos. Kind of like this is the animosity that was felt between these two groups. So you kind of get the idea. That's what it was like between the Gentiles and the Jews. There was such hatred between the two. They didn't associate. And the Gentiles were not, you know, they were not perfect either. They were in a class system. So they wouldn't go outside their class. And they certainly wouldn't associate with a Jew because they prided themselves on being a Roman citizen. So all this baggage was happening. What happens? God miraculously and gloriously saves these people, but there's still this kind of baggage. And Paul writes the book of Romans to kind of clarify what things are not quite right in the church. And what better person, the apostle Paul, once called Saul. Here he was, the biggest persecutor of the Christians. He would, he would uh, arrest them, throw them in jail, he even witnessed uh, and approved of the first martyr being killed. And here the Apostle Paul has an encounter with Jesus, and he miraculously becomes the vessel that God uses to reach the Gentiles. And he, you know, he was studying under the Mosaic law, under the high priest Gamaliel. He was grooming to be the next high priest, a Pharisee. And yet, he was a Roman citizen, if you remember. And he was educated in Tarsus, so he knew Greek literature. So you see, God used his past to propel him into his ministry later on. Because both of those things were important. His training as a Pharisee gave him access to synagogues throughout the then known world. And the fact that he could argue from the Roman perspective. In fact, the fact that he was a Roman citizen gave him access throughout the Roman world. So God uses everything. 
He uses everything if you surrender it to him. He uses your past, your good, your bad, your ugly. You know, I think of years ago, we had a guest speaker here. His name was um, Quinlan, Greg Quinlan. He had a ministry called Ex-Gays are Okay. I mean, here he was a male nurse. He witnessed the height of AIDS uh, when before they had any cure or medication. He got miraculously saved. He got married. He started this ministry. And he affected the lives of thousands through that ministry. God used that past. Think about Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz, he was a gang leader. He was a drug dealer. He wrote, I mean, there were books written about him. He, um, he got miraculously saved through David Wilkerson's ministry. And again, God used everything in his past. He'll use you too. There's no waste. Pastor Harold said it during the song. God works all things, say all things. Together for the good to those that love God. That's from the book of Romans. Okay, hold on. I want to start with the first chapter. Because when somebody asks you, I have some bad news, I have some good news. What do you want to hear first? What do you usually say? Bad news, right? Bad news. So Paul is setting up this argument, and he's saying, okay, you can't fully grasp the beauty of salvation until you understand how much you need the Lord. So here he starts in in the first chapter, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You would expect him to continue on to talk about the blessing of salvation, but he doesn't do that. Here he talks about the wrath of God. He talks about godlessness, about the wickedness of the people who suppress the truth. Look at this in in verse 18, if we continue on that chapter one. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being, without, being understood from what has been made, so people are without excuse. In other words, God says he made it plain. I mean, just, just what we talked about God feeding the sparrows today, just Look at a blade of grass. Look at the human eye, the complexity of a single cell. There had to be a creator. You look at a beautiful building, there had to be an architect behind it. You look at a a masterpiece of a painting, there had to be an artist. God is saying things are plainly clear who I am. Creator God, just by the things that are made. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, that's the first stage, the slow fade. What happens is your, your thinking becomes confused. You get dark, dark thoughts. 
It's obscure what truth is. And then here's a transition word. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their body with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than their creator. Verse 28, furthermore, another transition word. Just as they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over. Now it's not just a muddy obscurity. Now he gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. It's almost like in a recruitment that goes on. You know, these, these people with this mindset kind of group together. That's the bad news. Paul wanted to, people to know you cannot appreciate the goodness of God, the good news, until you understand the bad news. Only when we come to the reality of the extent of our individual, personal depravity can we ever appreciate God's grace. I don't know about you, but you come to a point, I know I did, where I knew how ugly I was in the spirit, in my heart, and my need for God. Everybody has to come to that point, and then we could respond. I think of a beautiful story in the book of Luke that illustrates this beautifully. Chapter 7, Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee. And in this home, of course, Uh, He's not even given common hospitality. And a woman from the street, I mean a street woman, comes in, falls at his feet, weeping, drying his feet with her tears and pouring perfume and kissing kissing his feet. And, of course, the Pharisee was irate. How could this man allow this woman of the street to touch him? And I see Jesus responds to them. He explains to the Pharisee, you didn't even offer me common hospitality. But in verse 44 of chapter 7, he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you go in peace. Your faith. She realized her condition and she came at his feet, accepted his forgiveness, and she was washed clean as anyone else 
can be today. Each of us has to come to the reality of our sinfulness. And there's always a downward spiral. You saw how, you know, first the thoughts were a little darkened and then they became depraved. There's a callousness that happens in individual hearts if you don't acknowledge who God is. You don't even recognize your sin anymore. And then even worse, you start to dress up your descent into, well, I'm reaching maturity, uh, you know, human maturity, science, and uh, the wisdom of the world supersedes the wisdom of God. But Paul is making it clear. Generally speaking, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. But then he zeroes in and he talks to the Jew to the chosen people. These are the ones who prided themselves on the fact that they were Abraham's seed. They were the ones who God promised that would receive his inheritance. And yet, you know, we just went through all the books of the Old Testament, right? How did they do? They rebelled against God. They turned away from him. And God brought judgment And you saw the same cycle, they would repent and God would forgive over and over until eventually they were in exile. So Paul is saying to the Jew, you cannot pride yourself on the fact that you're the chosen people. He says this in chapter two, for God does not show favoritism. All who sinned apart from the law will perish apart from the law and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Down to verse 22, same chapter 2. A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God, excuse me. Now, I was raised in a denomination where I felt like I was secure. I mean, I had a shoe in. As long as I went to confession, did my communion, did my good deeds, uh, went to church, I was in just because I was part of this religion, this denomination. I was led to believe that, but that's not a guarantee. And Paul makes it clear in the book of Romans, there's no guarantee, there's no favoritism. I know there's other religions that teach the same thing, but it's not religion. It's not works. It's not race. It's repentance. It's acceptance for what Christ has done alone. Nothing added just his grace. So we look at Romans chapter three and we see Paul saying, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? He's talking to the Jew. Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. And further down in verse uh, 20, there's a transition word. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. 
Hey, if you're driving down the parkway and you see a sign that says 65 miles per hour, you're aware how fast you're supposed to travel, right? How many of you do that? Okay. I'm not the only transgressor. <laughs> but you know when the cop pulls you over because you were going 77, he has every right to give you a ticket because you broke the law. See, what the written law does, it makes you aware of what sin is. So here, that was the bad news. But there's a transition word, but now. You know, he just went from this sobering portrait of the depravity of humanity, and now he talks about the celebration of salvation. And here in verse 21, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through, through in faith, Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, we have to go way, way, way back to the first book of the Bible. We understand that death came to everyone through Adam. But life comes through Christ. Chapter 5 in Romans says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, verse 18, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation of all people, so also one righteous act justified, uh, resulted in justification and life for all people. Just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, many were made sinner, also through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, many will be made righteous. So he talks about faith. That's the first of the opposites. Faith versus works. There's nothing you could do to earn your way to heaven. It's faith in Christ alone. Now he starts to talk about flesh versus the spirit. And in chapter 6, it starts like this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? You know, some people live that way. Some people get saved and they say, wow, God forgave me. And, you know, they'll sin and and they'll do these presumptuous sins thinking because of God's grace, he'll forgive them. And God does forgive. But a lifestyle of sinning presumptuously, thinking that you're going to get away with it, Paul's saying, "Uh uh-uh, by no means, you can't continue to sin. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can live in newness of life. We're dead to sin, but it doesn't mean there's not a struggle. Amen? There's a wrestling match going on. There's a tug of war going on in your spirit. Paul talks about this in the book in, in the book of Romans in chapter 7. <clears throat> he says this, 
For I know the good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. I desire not to eat this donut. I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. Oh, but there is a pull to do what I shouldn't do. And oftentimes I fail. And I don't know what you're trying not to do and you end up doing. I don't know if it's drugs or alcohol or wrong toxic relationships. But there is a pull. There is a tug of war going on. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hallelujah. He gave me the victory. I was in bondage in sin with with a number of things, and he set me free. And I know many of you can raise your hands and say, he's done it for you as well. He He can deliver me by this because I'm dead to sin. How can I live in it any longer? You know, we live our life and we think we just coast. We become a Christian. We just coast. I'm, I'm saved now. I'm just waiting to get to heaven. You know, it's kind of like when my kids were little, I would love to go to the water parks with them. And after they would talk me into going on all the scary ones, you know, the straight down slides and stuff, I would go to the lazy river. Lazy river was fun. You just kind of Soap, and there is something in Florida, miles and miles and miles of this lazy river. You can kind of just coast, and doesn't that look like fun? But life isn't like that. You know, you want to coast, and there's tranquil waters, but then all of a sudden you hit some rough water, right? Now, this next slide is a real place. This is uh, Victoria Falls in South Africa. It's a 360-foot drop. Can you imagine if you were on that lazy river and there you were suddenly headed towards this drop? A lot of us are like that in our life, right? We think everything is fine. We ignore God. We live our life. We don't listen to the warnings. And all of a sudden, we're right close to that falls. You know, there's some other foolish people that might do something like this. Do you know they actually have guides that bring people to the top of this fall? You know what this is called? This area here? They're right on the edge of what we just showed you. Devil's Pool. That's called Devil's Pool. And then you got fools like this who decide not to take a guide, and they go right to the edge. How many of us live that way? We live that way. We're on the edge. You know, Jesus, he's, you know, we're all headed for this deadly waterfall. We're cruising down the river. We believe the lie that all is well, and yet we're getting closer and closer to destruction. 
And there's Jesus. He's there and he's saying, I'm the life preserver. Take my hand. I can save you. I can rescue you. And people don't listen. They harden their hearts. There's no other way. Jesus is the only one that can prevent you from falling into that abyss and total separation from God. Chapter 8, the good news, therefore, transition word, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. I looked up that word condemnation. It means to express strong disapproval or to criticize, to pronounce judgment against, or to sentence, to judge, or declare unfit. You see, the beauty of the good news is there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not declared unfit. I don't know what curses were proclaimed over you in your lifetime, saying you're no good. You're never going to amount to anything. The Lord said there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The devil who's telling you, oh, yeah, I know. They only knew about your past and everything you did. He's saying there's no condemnation. There's no judgment. You've been rescued. Thank you, Jesus. So we see there's a flesh and the spirit war. Romans 8 says, those who live according to the flesh have set their minds on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the spirit have set their minds on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of God, they do not belong to Christ. Now we look at some of the outworkings of the flesh. Sad statistics in America. Listen to this. According to a study, every second, we're talking about seconds, every second, over $3,000 is spent on pornography. Every second, over 28,000 internet users are viewing pornography. And 372 internet users are typing adult search items in their search items, in their search engines, every second. And every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is created in the United States. Sad statistics. It's exactly what Jeremiah wrote. The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's the flesh. You know, but Paul uses the flesh to talk about the whole person, not just uh, in regard to sexual impurity. It talks about the mind, the soul, the reason, the faculties, everything that you strive for or long for outside of God is the flesh. Anything contrary to what God wants is the flesh. The Bible says living in the flesh produces some unfortunate consequences. The first one is that you'll be separated from God. If you don't change and repent or acknowledge your sinful nature, it says you'll be separated from God both in this life and in the next. 
Scripture says, therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from your sinful practices of which you're now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. That's in Romans. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you will live. You will put the the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. It's going to come out. It's going to catch up to you. You'll reap what you sow. Second thing, a person who's living according to the flesh, you become a slave. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you're slaves to the one you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? See, this slavery leads to a destructive lifestyle, a deterioration in the way you live. You become enslaved or addicted to that fleshly thing, whatever it is. The matter, the fact of the matter is you think you could break God's moral law. A lot of people think they can get away with it, but you can never break God's law because the only thing you'll break is yourself. I mean, you could go to the top of the third floor here in the front of the building and tie a cape around your neck and jump off the building thinking you're going to break the law of gravity. But the only thing you're going to break is yourself. You can't break God's moral law. It will catch up to you indeed. So how do we overcome this flesh? This is a three-step process. Listen to me. Listen good. Three steps. First one I, I talked about, you have to acknowledge who you are, that you're a sinner. Agree with what the Bible says. We're all born in sin. Whoever entered the world through earthly parents were, were all sinners. First John 1 says this, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. That's the first step. Agree with God. We need him. Next step is walk in the spirit, and, and that involves calling out to God for salvation and forgiveness and receiving his Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week. The Holy Spirit will empower you to do what you cannot do. You can win that wrestling match. The transformation of the new life is described in Scripture, and we see it in in Romans. He writes, even so, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He writes later on in one of his other letters in Galatians, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Romans 13, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. And the last step, the walk of death. Where flesh is starved, where the desires are not fulfilled, you'll eventually die. It'll, it, the flesh will die. You know, years ago, Pastor Tate 
talked about two bears. Two bears were in a cage, and they would wrestle each other, and they were both vicious, but they never overpowered each other. Well, for a season, they were separated. One was fed the best meat and and nourished, and the other one barely got any bread and water. And they were put back in that cage. And which one do you think overpowered the other? The one that got fed better. When you feed the spirit, it'll overpower the flesh. And eventually, you starve the flesh, and it'll die. Look at this. He writes to Timothy, flee from sinful actions, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Focus on those things of the spirit, not the flesh. He tells Timothy again, flee from youthful lusts. He says, then consider the members of your earthly earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And finally, he writes this, knowing this, this is in Romans, that our old self was crucified with him. What happened when Jesus was crucified? He died. We were crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. So we're no longer slaves to sin. You know, there's a real struggle. We talked about it in chapter 7. But he says this, that there'll be eventual success as you starve the flesh. He writes in Philippians, I am confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You have the victory. You know, all religions that I could think of believe that you have to do something yourself. I mean, the Muslims teach that you have to follow the five pillars of the faith. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses, you have to knock on a certain amount of doors. The Buddhists have to spend hours meditating. I mean, they all have things they have to do, do, do. But it's been done. Jesus Christ. And, and, you know, the idea of salvation being a free gift, it's so hard for people to grasp that, especially those who, from backgrounds, think you have to do something to earn it. How can you stand before God in the final day of judgment? Right standing doesn't come from anything else but believing in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. It's not your faith plus works. It's not your flesh and your spirit. He wants to bring freedom, not slavery. Romans 12 shows us later in the book how we ought to live we live our lives in gratitude for what he's done. We, we don't do things to earn our salvation. We do them as a plus, a, a, a thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Therefore, there's a transition word. What do we do with this beautiful salvation, this gift of salvation? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how you feed your spirit. You stay anchored in his word. 
You starve the flesh. We could sum up the Christian teaching in 10 words. First one is God loves. He loves you so much that he died for you. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him, Jew, Gentile, whoever, would receive eternal life. Humans sinned. Adam and Eve, we saw how they introduced sin into the world, and we, our DNA is passed on throughout every generation. Death spread to all mankind. Jesus died. His one purpose was to come into the world. He came to reverse the curse. He came, his sole purpose was to set you free from the flesh, from slavery, so that you could have relationship with the Father. Jesus died. We believe Romans 10, 9, and 10, in this book, it talks about if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with your heart you believe and are justified. With your mouth, confession is made, and you're saved. He later talks about in that chapter that all who come to him, Jew or Gentile, receive salvation. And it comes through the hearing of the word. You're hearing the word right now. You've been hearing the word since the beginning of of this year. We've been anchored in the word. So God loves human sin. Jesus died. We believe. And God forgives. Salvation isn't like a paycheck that we earn. We could never pay off the debt. You know, I think of a grandfather who told his grandson, yeah, I'm going to put, I'm going to start an account for you. I'm going to, I'm going to put 10 in the bank. And years later, the grandson goes to get out his 10. And the teller tells him that the balance is $9,999,990. His grandfather gave him $10 million. Here he thought he only had $10, a measly $10. And although that's an illustration, the lavish gift of grace is so much more valuable. Will you receive it? Will you, as Jesus is calling out to those in the river going towards that waterfall, will you accept it, the rescue on his terms? That boy wouldn't tell the teller, I earned this, right? It's only what Christ has done. I don't know how many people haven't done that, whether you're online or whether you're here or whether you're like these Romans who were part Jewish, some, some were Gentiles, and they were confused. They thought they had to do things other than accept Christ. It was Christ plus. I don't know if you have that works mentality, but it's faith, not works. It's the spirit, not the flesh. He wants to bring freedom, not slavery. So with every head bowed, I want to close today asking if anyone is here, you understand now, you're not confused. It's Christ alone 
If you believe that it's Christ alone, I want you to raise your hand. I believe it's Christ alone for my salvation. Nothing I can do to earn it. Nothing I do to deserve it. I know I was heading, yes, I see some hands. Are those who, some hands are raised because they realize what Christ has done for them. I see a lot of hands that are not raised. Do you realize that God loves you? Hallelujah. Yes. This is a public proclamation. This is unusual. This is not what we usually do. But you're publicly acknowledging that I accept his lavish gift of grace and forgiveness. And I realize there's nothing I could ever do to earn it or deserve it. And I realize that everything in my past Everything in my lifetime is preparation for where you want me to be. I thank you for that gift. I thank you for your love. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's never made a profession, you could put your hands down. If there's anyone here who's never made a profession of faith, who never said, Jesus, I realize it's you alone. I want you to raise up your hand. And I want you to make that a confession of faith. Today is my day. Today is the birthday when I am born again. Is there anybody here like that? I can't see up there. You realize your need for him? Praise God. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for every soul here. I, I just want to read an excerpt from a book that has nothing to do you says this, your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to create a lifestyle so filled with the Holy Spirit that your body has no choice but to live for him. Your lifestyle filled with nourishment in the word, anchored in the word. Your lifestyle filled with cleansing and detoxification of those things that don't belong a lifestyle filled with positive, life-affirming choices. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.